Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Thanks again for joining us on The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. And this week we are going to keep in the mode of uh, talking about spiritual things. So, yes. Um, sometimes we open with a funny segment, but then sometimes I forget what, <laughs> what our did you know was and how sidetracked we get when <laughs> I title the episode. And I'm like, somebody tunes in to hear something fairly serious. And the first thing <laughs> we're ranting about is something totally, something ridiculous. totally ridiculous. So I decided... If we're going to be talking about spiritual things, we'll open it with a spiritual insight, and okay. then we'll go from okay. there. Okay, that sounds good. Um, but today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, challenges that we face um, to the Christian faith and that type of thing, and we want to start the conversation. Um, but before that, I had a thought today. Uh, Nate's dad was sharing with our congregation today about generosity, and he shared 2 Corinthians 9.6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Except he read it from the New Living, and he said, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. One who plants generously will get a generous crop. Yeah. One of the things that always bothered me about the parable of the sower was how that dude was getting seeds everywhere. Yes. I'm like, he wasn't planting in his field. <laughs> this guy lacked GPS. Like, <laughs> he seems to be planting on the path and in the weeds and beside the path. And I'm like, all this, this guy is walking down the middle of the road throwing <laughs> seeds and some of it lands in the field and produces a crop. And it, it just kind of bothered me with <laughs> the way he was distributing. Yeah, I've never done... I, I remember hearing somebody once, like in children's church or something like that back in the day, describe how they sowed seeds back then and basically explained that. But I've never done any real research to see if they basically just made that up or not, because I really don't yeah. know. Um but yeah, I agree. He 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 didn't. He wasn't good at his. I mean, job. the depictions are usually somebody with a bag big over bag, their shoulder, big scattering bag, with the right hand. Yeah, because everybody was right-handed. In a pattern, then. like, and yeah. I suppose as you walked, I mean, I was doing this with a hand crank yeah. fertilizer spreader in right. my front yard, and I, you walk a pattern, and you know which way it's spreading, and right, you can cover the whole yard, right, but. This guy had bad aim or something. I don't and know. then and then I read the second Corinthians nine six and I'm like, Oh, he wants a generous crop. He's a farmer. If he, he knows if he only plants a few seeds, he's gonna get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. It's not a reflection of his aim. Yeah. It's a reflection of how generous he is. Yes, he's using that he's even yeah. getting it on the path and that's on good. the road. Like he wants everyone. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I, I love that. I think that preaches really well. It's I just think, like he he wants everyone. He's not just concerned with the field. It, he's going to get it everywhere. Right. Totally. One of the things that stood out to me, though, were, uh, what was the, the version that you read from the New Living? Uh, uh, New remember? International was the first one. Okay. But what was the New Living one that you that you read? Do you have yeah. that one there? Mm-hmm. 
Read, read that one again. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting, because at, whenever you get into these kind of things, inevitably you have to talk about prosperity gospel just a little bit. Right. And the, one of the prevailing thoughts in a lot of prosperity gospel is that when you sow something, then it just comes back to you, blessing comes back, whatever. I think it's interesting, this reference, because if you sow a lot, that's a lot of work. And then you have to work a lot to harvest it too. Either way, you're going to work your butt off to get a good harvest. And that's, that's the thing that kind of stood out to me in that is that it's very clearly saying, hey, you're going to have to work a lot to get these things, you know, as, you, as you're doing. But it's also interesting to me because a lot of people won't sow because it takes work and they don't right. reap a whole lot because it takes work. And I don't mean that in the literal sense. I mean that in the spiritual in, the, in that sense. But I've, I've, that kind of stood out to me, and that never really stood out to me in any other version of it that I've read. But for some reason, that one, it stood out to me. So, yeah. yeah. We have a generous father. Yes. And, and he's a generous planter because he wants a generous crop. Absolutely. I like that. I, I think that. that's pretty good. Um, what we wanted to talk about today was not, not so much that we're the experts or anything on any of this going forward, but... Um, <clears throat> Just, I was trying to think through challenges that people bring to, okay, you have faith, but I don't, and here's why. Yeah. And here's why I don't think you should believe what you believe. Right. And and I was trying to create a list in my head, and Nelson, who's Nelson. who I work with, and who's, who's Nelson? a friend of the show. Um, anyway, he was like, well, Lee Strobel wrote a whole book on it, and it's called The Case for Faith. And he's like, he had eight of them. And he's like, you could just talk about those. And yeah. I'm like, well, let's do it. Neither of us have read the book, I don't think. Have you read that? I believe, I've read, I've read The Case for Christ and I think The Case for Faith as well. I think okay. I've read them, so but you, it's, been, read it. it's been a lot of years since I've I read them. Read I was it. probably in high school when I read them. So I'm not, I'm not going to be giving you his answers today, but I thought it'd be kind of fun uh, since we're both pastors, we get put on the spot from time to time by people like, well, what do you say about this? You yeah. Know? And, and... I've heard a couple of these and and talked with a couple of people about these things, and I thought it'd be fun to start the conversation on here yeah. and maybe just trade hot seats a little bit and yeah, be like, okay, totally. I'll ask you these questions, you respond. Because it's hard to be the one responding right off the bat. The yeah. one that's sitting here thinking has a chance <laughs> to better formulate what we're thinking. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, the the idea here is just to start a conversation. If if you don't hear a, an answer from us that's to your liking, uh, we're not theologians, we're not apologists, we're just guys. <laughs> so, uh, although yeah. I would make the argument, some of the class, one of the classes I went through recently, I think it was systematic theology. They they kind of somebody spoke up and said, "Well, I'm not a theologian." I'm like, yes, you are. Right. Like, if if you are of the faith and you are pursuing knowledge of these things and even the minimal level, you are a theologian. You may not be a great theologian yet, but that is what you're. That's what you're moving towards. So, I don't know. Maybe we are. I don't, budding, I don't really know. Buddy theologians. theologians. Yeah. But <clears throat> anyway, our faith is a very real part of our life, mm-hmm. and it's something that you need to examine from time to time and put it up against uh, these arguments. Otherwise. You know, yeah. What is it? You're not owning it. Yeah, and um, these objections are mostly emotional objections to faith—the ones where people encounter them, yeah. and there's an emotional reaction within you that says, "If this is true about Christianity, I'm not signing up." Yeah. If this is true about Jesus, or this is true about God, I can't be a Christian. Yeah. Um, so 
let's see here. Which one do I want you to take? Yes. I'll take the first one, I guess. Okay. And then you can do the second one. So go ahead with the first okay. one, and I'll do my best. So the first objection, and we hear this one all the time. This is probably one of the biggest ones that we hear, I would say, is since evil and suffering exist, a loving God cannot. Yeah. And it's since evil and suffering exist in this world, and I observe it, and I see... I see people suffering. I know suffering myself. Yeah. How can a loving God be in, in this world and yet I'm suffering or I see people who are suffering? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not an easy answer to this one because it goes back into what is the nature of evil and how is that separate from God? Yeah. And one of the things to recognize is that God... God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. But in a lot of situations, I would say that he's not in control. By like choice. He does not control that situation. Yeah. Um, and if you go back to creation, God goes to Adam and says, I have given you yeah. all authority to roll over the fishes of the sea and over the birds of the air and over everything that creeps on the earth. And he gives Adam authority over the earth. And he's setting him up and says, you are to basically rule and reign over the earth. You and your descendants be fruitful and multiply right. and subdue the earth. Does that sound like Adam's responsible for something? Right. Then Adam turns around and by, by instead of obeying God, people will always say he disobeyed God by sinning. More than that, he obeyed Satan. And when he obeyed Satan's suggestion, he gave his authority mm. to Satan and basically made him the ruler of the earth. Right. So that Satan can stand on the mountain in front of Jesus when he tempts him and yeah. says, look at all these kingdoms. They've been given to me. Who gave them to Satan? Yeah. Because it wasn't God. Right. God right. didn't give this authority to Satan. It was, but it was given over to him because people made themselves slaves to sin. Yeah. They made themselves slaves to whatever they wanted to do, which in end served, served Satan and served evil. Yeah. So it is right that Adam gave over a lot of that authority. Now Jesus took it back. Right. And, and he goes to his disciples after his death, and says, all authority yeah. on heaven and on earth has been given unto me, and basically tells his disciples, now go and make disciples of all nations. Right. And he sends them out with power and authority. Right. And so the, the idea being, yes, we're living right now until Jesus comes back and makes everything new. Until the end of time, there... And, and Jesus stands on this earth as ruler and, and reigns over a new heaven and a new earth, we are going to exist in a state where we have given authority to Satan, to evil. Enough people have given themselves over to it that there is evil in this world. It is persistent. Right. It is going to continue until all things are made new. Now, we have been given power to overcome, mm -hmm. and you can be freed from evil. Go back and listen to our podcast with, with um, Jared and how he overcame alcoholism. Right. Like, we have the power to be free from evil. But in this world, we are guaranteed that there will be suffering, there will be pain, and we can be delivered from that. Yeah. 
But when I, I think I hesitated early on to say that God is not in control. He he expects he expects us to obey him and to reap his results. Yeah. And I think in the things that we obey God in, we will reap his results. Yeah. Which in the end are for our good and not turning into evil. Right. But I don't know if that quite answers. It's been well, something I've been thinking about. And honestly, if if I may yeah. step in a little I'd bit love, on this one. I'd love some rational response. I've always thought this one is interesting because whenever somebody talks about evil and suffering in the world, Sometimes they'll go towards sickness so they'll go, or they'll go towards, you know, things like that. But typically they're talking about hunger. They're talking about poverty. They're talking about war. They're talking about genocide. <clears throat> and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, you're the same person who would look at me in the eye and say, people are basically good. And I would say, no, they're not. Because war and genocide and hunger and abuse and all of these things, people are selfish. People are by nature, since the fall, that is what their bent is towards, because that's what they gave into at the fall, was their own self-interest, period. Adam and Eve were not interested in themselves at all until that moment in the garden. Couldn't have cared less about it. They weren't even self-aware enough to know that they were naked. I mean, come on. They were not interested in themselves in the least. But the minute that happened, self-interest became king. And that is where you saw that, where I think you see that authority re-delegated to Satan, because it's basically saying, yeah, you've, you've given us away to have self-interest, and in the name of self-interest, we'll hand this over to you, essentially. And unless we think that God is somehow disconnected from our sufferings, I also want to say that um, Jesus was known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yeah. He had an intimate relationship with what grief was. Yeah. And if I think I'm going through something, he knew what it meant to walk the streets of heaven in total bliss, in all authority, and yet submitted himself to going through the same things we go through, yeah. except even more extremely. Can you imagine if you were going to walk this earth and do it with total purity? Yeah. The amount of suffering that that would take. Right. Most like in disciplining your body. Yeah. In, in disciplining your mind to be able to interact with all the people that he did without sinning. Right. He was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. Like Right. Not he suffered mention, things on this earth that many of us will not suffer. Right. People were literally trying to kill him since he was two years old. And was killed by the most torturous form possible. Yes. And for no good reason. <laughs> exactly. There was a literal conspiracy, literally being oppressed by a foreign power. I mean, all the things that people rant about on Twitter that they've never actually experienced, Jesus went through these things. And so God himself came in to experience and go through the worst of what humanity has to offer. Yeah. But that's the thing, is, is I think that the realities of evil, the realities of suffering, almost exclusively can be traced back to um, the depravity of man. Almost exclusively. Again, there are natural disasters and there's disease. I get that. Those are kind of separate categories in a sense. But it's, it all comes down to man, men making choices to try to um, subvert the will of others and submit it to their own. And there's there's one thing to be part of humankind and be like, God, why are you doing this to yeah. us? When it's not him doing yeah. it. This his his eye is even on the sparrow. Like yeah. he he knows even your dogs and cats and what they're going through. Like <laughs> like he he is well acquainted with what we're dealing with and right. what hurts his, our heart hurts his even more. Yeah. And and yet like though 
because he knows he knows our suffering so well when yeah. we say god why are you doing this to us he can handle that question he knows that we're what where the place that we're coming from with that yeah but we have done it to ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's tough to remove ourselves from humankind and step back and say, this is evil, this is awful, and yet I have a part in this. Yeah. Think about the sin in my life, the things that I've done that are wrong. In some way, I've contributed yeah. to the hurt of other individuals. I contributed to the evil that I see around. Now, I have done a lot of good as well, but right. I'm not. I'm not counting on my good deeds outweighing my bad somehow in order to make me a good person. Yeah. Because I don't think any of us, if we were totally honest, know how far the ripples of our evil actions right. went or how short our good actions stopped. Yeah. And the only way to really know that is to be outside of humankind yeah. and view it for what it is. Well, and again, I see that as the purpose of the Holy Spirit because <laughs> otherwise anything that we do that is considered good is still going to be for self-actualization or for, you know, some kind of self-care where we want to feel better. And so therefore we do a quote, good thing. Whereas if it's the Holy Spirit telling us to do something, it's like, man, I really don't want to do that, but you're leading me, you're guiding me. My will is yours. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And it's always for our good, but there, the Holy Spirit takes us to places that we would never go in and of our own self because our self-interest would win. Um, but it, it, talking about this, it reminds me of that line from, uh, what is it? I am legend. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole film where somebody was, somebody was saying to Will Smith when they finally, you know, when he finally realized there were other people who were alive, somebody said something to the effect of how could God allow something like this to happen? And he looked at her and said, God didn't do this. We did. And I mm. think that's the, that's the factor with evil and with suffering that we don't want to face. You know, we want to, we want to step aside and we want to look at Hitler. We want to look at Stalin. We want to look at, you know, Pol Pot. We want to look at these different things. I don't have our bell. I was going to ding you for Hitler. <laughs> it's not that kind of reference. <laughs> I know. But we but we want to throw out those things and act like these are the extremes. They're not. Right. They're not. They're they're the I mean they are, but it's it's where it's where the will of of, of humanity will go. Humanity right. by in, by and of itself is evil and will do horrible things to achieve ends that it thinks are noble. Yeah. And we say, you know, since evil and suffering exist, a loving God cannot. A loving God has a plan of redemption. And yeah. always has and always will. And he's creating new realities in which we don't all suffer and die. Like humanity should have ended years and years and years ago. And it's by the sustaining power of God that we are still here. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I would honestly say, I believe that evil and suffering exist. And this is a, a thing that will offend some, but proves the love of God because he gives us the will to choose something. He loved us enough to say, I will, give you, I will give you a free will. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give humanity free will to make choice. He didn't have to. I mean, he could just turn us into automatons. We're just kind of Borg, and we do whatever he wants us to do just at a, at a moment's notice. That's his goal. That's the goal of salvation. That's the goal of being filled with the Holy Spirit is to submit to his will and be his in that way, to be of his mind, to be of his heart. But the fact that he gives us free will is proof of his love. We've done horrible things with it. But free will comes out of his love and comes out of his grace. It's not out of a place of evil. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, but yeah, that's yeah. one you could talk circles in for yeah. sure. That's and one it, of the hardest ones. It is, it is a hard question, but I would say that a loving God 
a loving God would be one that saves us despite our evil mm-hmm. and comforts us in our suffering. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's what loving is. I think about what you would say a loving person is, and when do you see that the most? You see it in the good times, yes. But the people that I love the most, the way they would show me love is when I'm really going through it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we could say, yes, if the world was utopia, it would all be love. Yeah. I get that. But love shines the brightest in the darkness. Yeah. And dark nights of the soul, the people that love you are the ones that come around. Right. And, and that's what... That's what God has been for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think that the fact that there is evil and there is suffering in our world disproves God. I think sometimes we're too close to the suffering and we've removed God too far. Yeah. In a, that for us to make a good judgment of who's in what place. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a tough one, though. That's a tough one. All right. I'll ask you number two. <clears throat> Since miracles contradict science, they cannot be true. Um, now, are we talking like miracles uh, in the Bible that yeah. took place? Like the miracles of the splitting, Bible. Splitting the Red Sea. Right. You know, those. Okay. Um, uh, um, yeah. So walking on water. Yeah. Feeding the 5,000. Um, splitting the Red Sea. Manna from heaven. Uh, even the walls of Jericho. Yeah. These, yeah. these, a miracle by itself means a contradiction of the laws of nature. Right. Like, this is what it's supposed this to is, do. This is one of the... in this instance, yeah, this it is, didn't, and it benefited God's people somehow. Right. This is one of the things that I remember hearing... It can't um, be real. I remember hearing... There's a, there's a guy, I can't remember his name. Uh, it's, a, it's a very... It's, it's, very, it's some Slavic name. Uh, but he was, uh, did a show called The Naked Archaeologist where he would get into, I don't know why they called him the naked, because he wasn't naked, he was never naked, but I think it was getting down to the bare bones of archaeology. And he got into a lot of uh, biblical miracles and different things, and there were some things where he would just dismiss out of out of out of hand, like, oh, you know, that probably wasn't exactly this. But, and he would get into the science and the possibility of like, okay, but we've seen this happen. And he he literally went through, he did the, the 10 plagues, was it the 10 plagues or the 12 plagues? 10. It 10. It was 10. Yeah. 10 plagues of Egypt. And he walked through them, and said, these were cause and effect plagues. So you had the first one, which was uh, the plague of, of blood, yeah. uh, which turning the Nile into blood. And he got into how there was a, a large waterway that I think it was anthrax came through with a, from a mold, some kind of mold that was there, turned this thing red and ended up killing all these fish and all these things. And then you go to the plague of frogs and the plague of... like It, it literally went through, and he said, these are like natural things that would happen after these things had taken place. Um, and it wasn't that, I'm sorry, it wasn't anthrax. It was some kind of sulfur that had happened to it, some sort of leaking. So there are scientific explanations for a lot of the miraculous things that you see in terms of there, there are cause and effect. But the thing that he brought out that was so interesting to me was he talked about how the God of the Bible does not subvert the, the laws of nature. He manipulates them to his ends. And really, if you think about a lot of the things that took place in the Bible, you can get there pretty easily in terms of some of the... Now, again, there are some things like 
walking on water that just kind of defy right. explanation, um, as far as we know, anyway. Um, but there are many, many things that you can see the natural progression of. So I don't think there's as much um, mysterious about the miraculous that you see in the Bible as we think. Even healing miracles that take place in the Bible, a lot of it is... A lot of it is, the biggest problem that the human body has is that it can't catch up to a particular disease, or it can't catch up to a particular thing that's gone wrong with it. So yes, given enough time, it could take care of an infection, or it could take care of a certain thing, but the body just does not have the capability to sustain itself long enough to do that. It dies before it has a chance to heal, because healing is a natural process. Our bodies naturally heal. And so there's this idea that, well, God's not subverting a law of nature. He's just manipulating and saying, okay, I'm just going to kind of speed this up and make it happen right now, but it's still a natural process of the body. I see what you're saying. Instead of healing taking years, it took a matter of seconds. Right. And so... But when you raise a dead man back to life, when you make an axe head float... Right. When you, like, when... I'm trying to think. There was a couple others that that were coming to my mind, like the widow's oil... Yeah. And flour that didn't run out. That's a yeah. little... That, like, a lot of this stuff, the feeding of the 5,000, you're, you're sitting there and 5,000 people were fed from a lunch bag. Yeah. That's, you know, there's something... that God is doing more than what we can give him credit for through science. Yeah. Well, the thing that I... The argument that I'll always come back to is science is science is not an exact science. It's just not. I mean, people want to talk about science like it's always hard, cold fact, and it's just not. What we knew about the world 500 years ago, we laugh at now. Yeah, and And we know more now than we ever did, but there's a lot more to be discovered than what we have yet. So it's... I, I I guess for me, the miraculous has always been something bigger than that. Yeah. Like... For me, the miraculous is where heaven touches earth and all of a sudden a part of earth all of a sudden looks a little bit like how heaven yeah. works. Yeah. You know? And where and where Jesus feeds five thousand and in heaven there is provision, eternal provision right. all the time. There is no lack. Right. And in that moment, God brings his eternal provision into a moment where it provides for everything and then some. Right. And it's like uh, wow, this is not something from around here. This is something from a different world. This is where his world touches ours. Yeah. And I think if, if you believe in a creator, yeah, then it's not hard to believe in the miracle. I think it's a little difficult for some people to justify believing in the miraculous and then going back to the first question of then why suffering and evil, yeah. why didn't a miracle show up? Right. And, and that's, that's to me the hard question with miracles. I don't even, I'm, I'm not the one that says since miracles contradict science, they cannot be true. Right. I'm saying, well, that just makes it a miracle. Right. Yes. And, it contradicted right. science in the way that we understand it today. It is miraculous. That's what makes it a miracle. If you, had no context for what science is or what people believed was possible, you wouldn't be able to call it a miracle. There right. wouldn't be anything to call right. it. It is miraculous right. because of contradicts. Right. And my, and my point is not that that's not true because there are some instances where you just have to throw your hands up in the air and say, yep, this is just... But I think we have I've separated... I've tried walking on water. Yeah. I've failed every time. Yeah. If you run fast enough, you can make a little bit of progress. <laughs> 
Maybe someday. <laughs> but my point being that there are some there are some lo- logical paths that some of these things followed. That if you actually look for them, the patterns are there. Yeah, I um, think I think certain ones are explainable. Yeah. I mean, but again, in in my life, I mean, my mom got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis after I was born, and was going to be an invalid for the rest of her life, and she was healed. Yeah, there was no explanation. She was prayed for, and and over a sp- series of months, everything went away. Now somebody's going to chalk that up to oh well, she was just misdiagnosed. No, I mean, woman couldn't even keep her eyes in one place. I mean, she would, she couldn't focus on anything. I mean, she was a mess. She was a mess, and it took time to get better, but it did. And now, she has literally no symptoms and hasn't since as long as I can remember. So. Right. Um, you know, Joe Logie, who, who goes to our church, was also, she was wheelchair-bound yeah. with multiple sclerosis and was prayed over and was healed of it completely. Yeah. No symptoms, no anything. So I've seen and know people who, yeah. who unusual miracles have happened to. Right. And you can't talk me out of it because I've lived with my mom all 35 years of my life. I've watched her be fine. You know, I've, I've, I didn't know Joe before. Uh, when she when she had this diagnosis, she was having these issues, but I know her now, and you, there's nothing wrong with her at all. Yeah, and there's there's <clears throat> countless stories of that of yeah. people having healing stories like that where God just moves in a miraculous yeah. way and and heals their body and restores them. You know, I to me the miracles is not a huge hurdle. No, <clears throat> my my God is big enough to do those things, and and. He can manipulate the laws of nature because he's outside of them. They yeah, don't apply. Or, or show up in the middle of them and change the entire environment. Yeah, they don't apply to him. Now, I would, I would say that the miraculous, when we, look, when we look at the life of Jesus, granted, we don't know everything, but you look at the Old Testament and all the stories there and, and then the life of Jesus, miracles more, were more frequent when Jesus was here. Like in his ministry, they were more frequent. Yeah. When you look at the whole Old Testament, we're talking about a couple stories over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Like people will look at the Old Testament or the Torah and be like, God is a God of miraculous. He does all these things. He saves his children. Even even the children of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years, you're talking about a few miracles yeah. at different points over 40 years. Yeah. It's not like these things are ridiculously common, happening all the time. And that's that's also partly why I don't depend on the miraculous right. in order to live my everyday life or even to sustain my faith. Right. You can take away miracles tomorrow, yeah. and I still believe. Yep. Like, it does not shake my faith one way or another if God doesn't show up in my suffering or stop this one particular evil. Yeah. No, he, he is not required to his children walk there's countless stories in the bible of people that walked in faithfulness to their death seeing no miracle whatsoever right why should i feel like i'm any better right (laughs) why do i demand a miracle right no i don't demand a miracle i i love him and i want i want god in my life and so i'm not i'm not demanding things of him right i'm i'm to be faithful right 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 Regardless of whether the miracle comes or not. Right. I, he's not a vending machine. No. Nor should he be treated like one. So Bad things happen. That's, that's kind of my expectation of God is why I don't 
see this as a large challenge to my faith. Yeah. Okay, miracles contradict science, so they can't be real. Great. I still believe. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number three. All right, ask me. Here's a good one. Evolution explains life, so God isn't needed. So because we have a different uh, narrative of how we came to be, that means we don't need God to come to be. Yeah. And if we don't need that, then that takes away my answer to, to question one and a couple other things. So if we can strike God out of the origin story, that means I'm not accountable to him today. Yeah. If you want to bank on that, go <laughs> ahead. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, for me, I don't know that evolution explains life. And yes, I know you all want to say, well, it goes back to a big bang and all of this. I get it. Where did that come from? Right. Where did the atoms that form the big bang, where, where do we get a planet that was so perfectly suited for life? Right. You know, and some of that stuff. And it's like, I don't know that evolution explains life. Maybe that's because I'm not well-educated enough. Right. Okay. I'm also <laughs> not well-educated enough in, in uh, intelligent design. I'm not even well-educated uh, enough in the creation narrative as I believe it. Yeah. Like, there is so much more I have to learn. But just because you have a different explanation of life to me, does not leave you off the hook today. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing is you, you still, there's, there's not a scientist in the world that will tell you they actually know what initiated the universe. They will yeah. try to explain it, but they hit a point where they just talk about the singularity, where the thing happened. Okay, what about before that? We don't know. That's, that's the best you're going to get regardless of how you view the world was created as. And I'm one of those where my faith does not rise and fall on whether or not the Genesis narrative is literal. So in the beginning of Genesis, yeah. it says, now the earth was without form and void. Yeah. To me, I believe God could have created the earth some quite a bit of time before, yeah. like the earth and plenty of other planets, right. entire universes, Long before the Genesis one narrative, yeah. Well, and, and it's, and it's so funny for, to me. For me, people were like, "Do you believe in an old Earth or a young Earth?" Uh, yeah, I believe in a Creator that can create a very old-looking Earth. Yeah, I'm good with that. Well, and that's or like, yeah. it could be, it could be, you know, millions and billions of years old, right? Because God's time doesn't work like ours. He could have created right. that long before and still He's had a literal seven-day creation. Yeah. He's outside of time. The things that show up in the seven-day creation is like the sun, moon, and stars show up, but the earth was there. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's just so much that's there. But, but for me, I've always... Uh, either way, whatever you view the... the creation narrative as whatever if you take it as a literalist point right. literalist point of view or if you don't he's still the initiator yeah i don't period yeah i don't care e which evolutionary way you go theory has not explained any of the why they've just explained what they think is the how um and one of my favorite things in the world was hearing dawkins being pushed on this i'm almost positive it was dawkins i mean i i can't guarantee it but i'm almost sure in, in an interview and basically he finally came around saying well we were probably seated by by our, our planet was probably seeded by aliens 
and that's kind of where the origin of life came from. We were an alien pit stop, which at is one just point. punting, or at best saying they would be our gods. Yeah, like it's it's one of those two things, and I'm like, y- you are the dumbest smart person I've ever heard of. If that is the best you can do, instead of just admitting that you don't know, I don't know is a perfectly valid answer in science. Right. But we've suddenly gotten to this point where, where science has become dogma on these things, and we can't mm-hmm. say, I don't know. We've got to have a comeback. There's a lot we don't know. Um, you know, genetics is figuring a lot of things out. Uh, obviously, uh, biology, evolutionary theory is, is, is tracing a lot of things. But the problem is, is that you're still not seeing, you're not seeing the links that you want to see in order to make these, these hops uh, in species. That has just not, not been seen. We've seen adaptation. Adaptation is clearly real. Right. happens all the time. Um, happens in humanity, happens in but animals. But you look at the kinds that God lays out in, in Genesis, and he's like, you know, the fish after their kind, the birds after right. their kind, right. you know, the animals after their kind, right. you know. And, and then, people, and then people he looks will, at people, and he says, let us make man in our image. We yeah. are made of different stuff. We right. are made after the God kind. We are yeah. not, to me, I'm like, I'm not an evolved ape. Yeah. I, I am made after something else. Yeah. I bear the image of God, and so do you, and so right. does this other person. That's why I'm not big into right. like fighting other people and killing other people because <laughs> they they tend to wear the image of God. Yeah, you know, we might only get through four of these in the first and, round, and that's fine. I was actually fine. Like I'm we'll okay do with four that. and then save four. That's okay. I really, I really just want to prompt conversation totally. more than anything. Like. Because this stuff gets thrown at us all the time, yeah. and unless you start talking about it, it, how do you know what you believe about why you believe it right. and all that? So right, yeah. So um, for me, that question, the, the the issue of evolution, always comes down to maybe the Genesis narrative is literal, maybe it was uh, God initiated an evolutionary process. Either way, He is the initiator. Okay. He is the creator. Here's my question. Yes. If if evolution explains life so God isn't needed, that's a question. Okay. Yeah. So what about human life? Mm-hmm. Now that we are human, we have a higher evolved national rational mind where we want to connect with a spiritual with the spiritual side of ourselves. Look look at the number of religions in the world and all the people trying to connect with with uh with a spiritual element in the world. Even Marianne Williamson is trying yeah. to connect with something spiritual and, and, I, but you know, yes. and it's, it's after a fashion. It's not, it's not the God that I'm after, but she's still trying to connect with something spiritual. There is a longing within humankind yeah. to connect with something spiritual. Say we evolved to this point and I grant you all of that. And I say, okay, uh, cause you have a different life origin story. Do, does not remove from me the idea that says, so God isn't needed. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying that everyone that wants to connect with something spiritual is just fooling themselves? Yeah. Like, now that we are here and we are thinking in this direction, that doesn't say that God cannot or will not or does not exist simply because you have evolution to get here. Yeah. We bear some responsibility f- to answer this question regardless. Yeah. Like, who do I answer to? Where do I derive my morality from? How do I know what is right and wrong? Right. How do I know what is good and evil? And why are there universals? And why do you why do you do something that feels good to you? And you would say it was good, but it feels bad to me when you do it. Yeah. 
Like, yeah. So, but so who's to stand between us and say what's good? Right. Well, and, and it can't be what's lawful because slavery was lawful at some point. Right. And that's the thing is there are universal human principles, no matter what culture you from you are from, such as protection of the innocent, such as right. you know that are looked upon favorably. Yeah. It is a natural inclination of humanity to believe these things to be right or wrong. We ignore them all the time. But there is something within all of, all of humanity that sees this and that understands it. And that has to come from somewhere. Because it just doesn't, it doesn't just well, show up I, out of nowhere. To me, the origin story of how we got here does not remove no. God from our equation today. Not at all. I understand that you want it to. Yeah. But it's tough to look at the entire world and say, you know what? I'm the only one that has it right and here's why. Okay, you can say that. But yet there are millions and billions of people connecting with something spiritual yeah. that would tell you you are wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and just because you have a different origin story doesn't solve anything for them. It's not a great answer to the question. And just as you can say, well, Christianity is not a great answer to the question either. You know what? We, at least we are connecting with something that is higher and solves this question in a way that Right. Is well, more even, complete. Even those who would deny that there is a God, deny that there was a creator, and say that this is all just random chance. Um, I remember a quote from Carl Sagan uh, that I just looked up to make sure I got it right. But uh, his series, The Cosmos, that came out in 1980, he opened the entire thing by saying, The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Which, in essence, what's he saying by saying that? The cosmos is eternal. A- and therefore, there is no God. That is what he's opening with. There is no God because the cosmos is all there is, all that was, and all that ever will be. And the thing is, though, there's still a mystical sense. It's funny because when you get into that, he starts talking about how humanity even is made of, of leftover bits and atoms and things from the stars. And, how and we're, do we have a collective have a, consciousness? And we have and a desire to go back there. And so even he is looking for the spiritual in looking at the cosmos and looking at the universe, or was actually, obviously he died years ago, but he's still looking for a spiritual element. So there is something in the heart of man. The fact that science exists, the fact that this kind of curiosity and exploration exists, we don't want to explore just to know how something works. We want to explore because we want to know why. We want to know why we're here. We want to understand our purpose. And that's deeper than simply the physical stuff we see around us. That, that's not enough. Because if that was the case, you'd see animals pursuing the same thing. If it was just physical, if it was just responsive, if it was just, uh, you know, just the synapse firing in my brain randomly and me having no control, I would have no interest in those things. Because we see that in the animal kingdom all the time. All they care about is being chased and eating. Those are the two things they care about in the animal kingdom. Um, And we don't. There's something more there. Right. Um, And it's more than just a more highly evolved mind. There is something innately in the heart of man that wants to understand where we have come from. Um, and for Carl Sagan, that was the, the cosmos. We want to understand the cosmos because it's a way for the universe to know itself. That's why we exist. That's why the universe created us, so that it, the universe could know itself. These are the actual man's words. I could look them up and <laughs> quote you exactly. So there is great mystical, spiritual yeah. significance in what you're trying to do. You're just, you're just ignoring the origin. Um, and unfortunately, when you start off with there is no God and then go on that journey, you end up in all kinds of weird places. Yeah. I... For me, I want to connect with God because I am made of of his likeness. Yeah. Like there is a part of him that is me. Yeah. There is part of him 
that is my wife, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm like, you want to see what the face of God looks like. Look at the collective faces of humanity. And, and that, that can give you a picture of what he looks like. That's why there's a longing in me to connect with something bigger, I believe. Yeah. Because that's where we came from and that's where we're going back to. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, is, a, it is a tough question. It doesn't have an easy answer, and it should probably be answered by somebody much smarter than me. <laughs> Read the book if you really want solid answers right. to this. All right. This one I'm interested in. Yeah. Uh, objection number four, and this is a pretty emotional objection. Yeah. God isn't worthy if he kills innocent children. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to ask you is because this harkens back to an Old Testament uh, God and the way he interacted with the children of Israel yep. as they moved in to the promised the, land, the promised land yeah. where other people lived. Uh, there was one, one re- as I was looking into this, the people that um, have talked most about this bring up a couple passages throughout Numbers and Judges and a couple other places, but one of these stood out to me. I actually messaged it to Jared and got his response too. Um, but Moses is Numbers 31, 14 to 18. In the NIV, Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds who had returned from battle. Have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning Israel away from the Lord in what happened at Peor so that the plague struck the Lord's people. Now kill all the boys and kill every woman who has slept with a man, but save for yourselves every girl who has never slept with a man. Mm Mm-hmm. People were like, that's super barbaric. How did they know whether a girl had slept with a man? Like, even that is very intrusive. And then you're getting slavery out of it. Then, yeah. you, then you're killing innocent boys. Like, yeah. none of this sounds good. And there's other places where it's like, you have to kill all the men, women, and children, and even the animals. Yeah. And like, how could God order these things? Yeah. Well, this is one of those that's always interesting to me because there's so much cultural context written into what's going on here. Um, there, there were many things that took place as Israel was pushing into the promised land that had more to do with the culture than it had to do with the spiritual. That was the nature of the culture at the time. That was the nature of how things were done. That's the nature of what warfare was. Um, and we have a very cleaned up thinking where those things are concerned and thinking, well, this is particularly... We're judging, bar- we're right. judging that day or Based on the standards of today, which you cannot do. Historically, anything historical, I don't care what it is, biblical or just old, you know, just history in general, you cannot place today's standards over what you are seeing there because culture was different. Times were different. And there were certain things that people were not ready for <laughs> that have changed, that people have moved on, they've evolved beyond different things like that. But one of the things that I had, I had this question posed to me by somebody in our small group um, about these very things like, oh, they went and they wiped out an entire city and they killed all the kids and they killed. And I kind of, they, they said, how could, how does that translate to a loving God? And I, I told them at the time, I said, I need to go think about that for a little bit, but I will get back to you. And about a week or two later, I came back and I said, here's the thing I was thinking about. I said, if you look at Israel and you look at the history of Israel, God reached out to them. They became his people. And he said, if you follow me, here's how you will prosper. If you choose not to, here are the things that will happen to you. And it always in the language of, I will do this. I will do that. But it was, I will allow. 
I will allow such and such a kingdom to come and overtake you. I will allow your children to be this, that, or the other. It was stepping out from under the covering of protection that he was freely offering to them. This yeah. wasn't a, a barbaric, it, it, was, it was action and consequence was the covenant that was created. And so the more I got thinking about that, I'm like, we don't know the history of the people that were in Canaan. We don't know the interactions that they had with Yahweh. We don't know how he tried to reach out to them or what prophets he sent to them or how he tried to interact with them and how they rejected him. Um, but there just comes a point, I think, where you hit a point of depravity where there's no coming back. And especially then, uh, before, we had, you know, before we had the cross, before we had the grace that we have now, there was just a point where it's like, you know what, there, there's nothing left here. There, there is nothing that makes these people human left. And I don't mean that in the in the marginalized sense, I mean that they had abandoned by choice everything that made them human in yeah. order to pursue uh, their own their own ends. One of, one of the things that I would point out about that particular passage, Numbers 31, 14 to 18, yeah. that is Moses speaking. Mm-hmm. Moses was not, was not necessarily saying, thus saith the Lord. Right. Moses was giving military commands and saying, this is what happened before. Now, this is what you are to do about it. Yeah. And he's actually giving a military command here, not right. necessarily instruction from the Lord. Right. And how Moses went about battle was a little bit up to Moses, but God God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. Moses was not allowed to see the promised land. Right. Now, I know that Joshua went in and conquered and that type of thing. And, and there was a lot of military victories and stuff like that. I get all of that after. But this specific command was a Moses command. Yeah. And you see David not being able to build the temple of the Lord because he was a man of blood. Yes, did he fight the Lord's battles? Did he, you know, defend his people against the Philistines and all that? Yes. But there was still barriers around him being able to wear the name of the Lord. Right. In God's temple. Right, because he was and a man the of reason, violence. Yeah. The reason Solomon was allowed to build <clears throat> the temple of the Lord was because he was raised as a man of peace. Yeah. And Solomon's fall was when he enslaved the people, again, right. going outside of the will of the Lord. And so there are times where we see the Lord doing things and we're like, wow, that seems brutal. That seems like judgment. But to your point, when the people of Israel, who were supposedly under God's protection, when they turned away from him, what came upon them was even worse than this. Yeah. Like, it happened to his own people. Right. That he was defending and looking out for. And you're talking about a climate of that time where when people took over one region... They slaughtered everyone. Like yeah. this was a this was a thing that happened. Right. And if they were to be victorious, that's the way they knew to go about it. Right. Not that God was that was necessarily his plan. Right. And and people are always like, well, you know, he didn't let them integrate and he didn't let them do this and that, and you should not marry these people and all that. Sometimes God gave clear instruction about that. But look at the ancestry of Jesus. Right. In it, you will find Ruth the Moabitess. Yeah. Where there was there was an Israelite family, migrated to Moab, married Moabite women, right. came back, and Ruth and Naomi were accepted right back into the community, and right. Ruth had no connection to the community right. 
other than she was once married to an Israelite man. Right. Rahab, who was one of the sole survivors of Jericho. Yeah. Jericho. As well in Jesus' bloodline. Rahab goes down through the royal line of of Judah. Yeah. And not only that, she was a prostitute. And in this, (laughs) in this, where Moses commands all these people to be killed, those those girls that would have been kept were allowed into the blessing still. Like they are still going to be a part of that's. And that's the other thing that people... Going forward, they're going to be accepted in with the community. And yes, like, the whole circumstance is crazy. But But you got to remember then that later on, these same children of Israel get hauled off to Babylon. Then they get hauled off to Persia. And that's one of the things I think is so funny is that people talk about... They would look at that and say, oh, these girls were given in slavery. No, that's exactly how they would have been given in marriage at home, too. They would right. have, but their father would have given them to a man, and this would have and now been talking, their husband. We're also talking about kids that survived a type of idol worship in which children were burned Sacrificed in constantly. a fire. Yeah. So there's there's all kinds of, of historical cultural context that you have to get into when you look at those things. Um, and as culture got better, because it just did, you yeah. started to see these things fall away. Because most of them, most of the things that we think of as so barbaric were civil law. They were not. They were not spiritual law. They were civil law. And that's one of the things that people get a, a, a very confused with as well is because a lot of what you're looking at in, in Numbers, Deuteronomy, like these were the civil laws of Israel. Now, there are some of the spiritual laws that are mixed in there as well, and so therefore it can get kind of confusing. But there are distinctions between those two things. Right. And, uh, and you actually see provision made for the foreigner. You see provision made for treating people well when they're within your borders, whether that was uh, someone who was staying and residing with you or somebody who was just passing through. Like, there are distinct things that are given. Like, you will not do this. And it's usually because, and it comes down to, I'm the Lord your God, you will, do th- you will not do this. You know, well, you will not... Uh, treat a treat a foreigner this way. You will not enslave him. You will not do these things. I'm the Lord your God, because it's coming out of the nature of who He is. This is not of me. this is not of me to do this. Yeah, um, and those and are the things you got to pay attention to. In like Numbers and Deuteronomy, in the law of God, like you're talking about the civil law. Yeah, some of those things actually help the Israelite line to survive longer yep. than the nations around them. Yeah, because they had like the ceremonial washing. They did it out of ceremony, but they were washing their hands before they ate. They yeah. were, and which is modern germ theory. We're like, ah, oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah. But back then, it wasn't happening everywhere. Right. And used your hands for all kinds of things, and then you ate, and then you died an early death, and <laughs> nobody knows why. Yeah. But he, God, was instituting some things that make a lot of sense. Hey, you know what? You guys aren't real great with like blood and cooking things well, and like knowing how to preserve meat. Yeah. So it's probably good you don't eat pigs. Yeah. Like, that's a great idea. Yeah. And and it actually makes a lot of sense today. And we're like, man, you guys were really mean to the lepers. You took them and you put them out of the camp. Even anybody that's got weird skin things on them and stuff, yeah. you're supposed to put them out of the camp. That seems barbaric. Um, if you look at a group of people that are in that time, if you allow them to interact with all everybody else there's not another way until germ theory understands how to treat all this stuff well, and we still quarant- we still quarantine separating people. people out we still do it all the time with diseases that we can't control that's right. the only way to control and them. even so what's crazy about the old testament you look back and some of the heroes of all of this are the lepers yeah some of the heroes of all of this are yep. people outside the camp look at uh, the the commander who gets leprosy yep and comes to israel and gets healed by the prophet naaman naaman 
I had Nam in my head and that wasn't right. I'm like, who is that guy? Yeah, Naaman. And and uh, and he's he's leprous and he knows the gravity of what he's dealing with, and yeah. yet God steps in and heals him. The lepers uh, that are the ones that go out and discover that God has saved them from a siege. Yeah, they they go out because they're like, hey, we're going to be killed either way, and they go out and they find the spoils of the camp that people have fled away, and yeah. and the city was saved. And so they are the heroes that run back in and tell right. everybody. And it's it's a modern day parable of like, hey. We're the lepers, but we're bringing good news. Right. It's not the kings that are marching in and bringing the good news. Right. So I, I, I see a lot of the hand of God and the graciousness of God, even in the really harsh, awful stories of the Old Testament. But you do have to do some discerning yeah. and say, you know what? God is still in the Old Testament, a God of love and a God of peace, and he does not associate himself with some of the barbaric acts of Israel yeah. or some of the barbaric acts of Moses or Joshua or even the kings of Israel. Yeah. And he can say, you know, David was a man after my own heart and yeah. his heart was good, but there were some things he did that obviously the Lord did not agree with. Right. Uh, for instance, like rape, murder, yeah. and, you know, watching his sons kill each other right. and, you know, all kinds of other things. It's like, come on. Yeah. One of the things that I think is funny, it made me think of this. I remember reading a little bit about, um, and I'm, I'm going to bring up Hitler again, but I have to to, to make this comparison. But uh, one of the things that was interesting, they were talking about the, the immediate family, the family line of, of Hitler, and if it was still continuing. It was one of those things. And I think he had a niece or nephew that, that married, but oh. they decided to have no children. And so essentially, the Hitlers decided that their family line should be stamped out because hmm. of all that had happened and all the history and all that. And I don't know a single person that has a problem with that. Hmm. Name me one person who would say, you know what? I just don't think it's okay that the Hitlers have chosen not to continue to procreate and continue. Now, if we, from our limited understanding as people, can look at that and say, there's something that's right about that, then looking at this in the way that we see it in Conquest not knowing what those people did, what kind of atrocities they were, like, there comes a thing where we can kind of come up close to it and say, you know what? It might not be as barbaric as we think it is. We might have some things that we can relate to and say, okay, I kind of get that. And unless we in the 21st century decide that other other uh, times were way too barbaric and we're so much more civil right. now. We've killed a lot of people. Yes, we have. In the twenty in the twentieth century, there was more people killed than just about any other time, and Combined. we're just we're just a little <laughs> more uh, sanitized in the way we think about it because it's bombs yes. or it's yes. you know something else that the we cost, can. The cost of war has changed. We were and and. One thing that I didn't recognize reading the Old Testament, when I think of a city, I'm thinking of like Philadelphia or Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Jericho was a place you could walk around right. in a in half a day. a day. You could walk around it seven times in one you day. You could walk around it seven times in one day. Yep. We're not talking about a big spot on the map. It's right. not large. Right. And And you look at some of these numbers and you're like, we're not talking about a lot of people yeah. in, in some of these things. I don't know. Uh, the the numbers in my mind when it's like, okay, yeah. you took over this nation, you killed all these people, and it's right. like, yeah, but it, uh, like 
back then it was a lot smaller, a lot more right. microcosm than what we right. And might honestly, and, and in all this, this isn't a justification of those things. Not what we're no, trying no, to do, no. but it's just trying to give some context. Right. That's all we're trying to do is give some context. And for that, it. and that God, where He intervened, was still being God. Yes. So. Absolutely. Yeah, we're only going to get halfway through this, so we're we're pretty much done for this week, and then we have four more to go next week. And tell us what you think. I mean. Tell us that we're crackpots yeah. in what we said. Well, and the funny thing is, I feel like these first four were, were the more difficult in terms of requiring knowledge of other things. The the, the last four, I feel like I've, 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 I'm much more solid on. So I'm looking forward yeah. to answering those last four. Yeah, um, something to look forward to. But yeah, tell us what you think. If you think we're crazy, if you have explanation, please don't get into fights because that's stupid. These yeah. are stupid things to fight over because inevitably one or both of you will be wrong. <laughs> whoever is fighting. But uh, it's just an interesting discussion to have, interesting to talk to some of these things, some of these things, because we've all heard these arguments. Mm-hmm. We've all heard them. If we've claimed faith to any degree, we've all heard these arguments for sure. So Yeah, facebook.com slash the things we say podcast at TTWS podcast on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, the things we say at mail.com if you want to email us. We really appreciate your feedback, um, especially after listening to this episode, even if you're listening it back to it weeks later. We know that some of you guys take a while to catch up on our podcast. Yeah. That's A-OK. There's yeah. lots of content. If you don't listen every week, go ahead and even if it's weeks down the road, go ahead and message us about it. But we'd love to hear you. Just reach out and tell us what you think and, you know, pick one thing that you liked from it. Maybe something you think we got yeah. wrong. Yeah. One of each. And also... Uh, Rate us, rate us on uh, on the podcast app on iTunes. Yeah, and uh, share us with your friends. All right, that's it. See you guys next week. See ya. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The things we say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to the things we say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at the Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.